0: Arlene and I are definitely (laughs) the two most dangerous by the seat of our pants people you'll ever meet. Right, Arlene? Yeah. Yeah.
1: While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. All right. So welcome back to another episode of Barnyard Language. And if you hear some crunching in the background, we have Katie's little dude joining us today. He's not feeling very well. So he's on her lap. So you can't see him, but you might be able to hear him crunching on his snack while we record our weekly update. So Katie, other than a little sick person in your lap, (laughs) what's been going on this week?
0: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful coffee. for daycare's, you know, 24 hours with no puke rule. I really am. I think it's a excellent rule to have. But I think <laughs> Buster here is just getting too much crap from his head into his tummy, <coughs> and then it's making him puke. So he was home Wednesday, he was home all day yesterday, he was completely fine, he was completely fine this morning, he was at school for less than half an hour when I got a call. Puked again. Yeah. So, um. So, not much work
1: getting done this yeah. weekend. Is that what you're yeah, saying? He
0: did pretty well this morning and let me work. And daddy's coming home early because daddy's a little under the weather too, I think. So, they're going to hang out. He's pretty self sufficient. Um, my mom sent yeah. him a grain bin set up that we opened yesterday. So, I mean, there's popcorn and black beans all over my house now. But he's happy. So that's the important part. Some
1: of them will end up in the grain bin, I'm
0: sure. Well, it goes in the grain bin, and then it comes out of the grain bin, and then it goes back in. Because it came with a with an auger and everything. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty exciting. Mm. Um, That is pretty exciting. Wednesday, it was 70 degrees here in northeast Iowa, which is, I want to say, like 45 degrees above the normal. And then it was like... 25 degrees Fahrenheit yesterday, so that was a bit of a swing. We were under tornado warning and everything else, so we spent quite a bit of Wednesday evening in the basement, which the kids did really well for, especially considering that it's a dirt floor, stone foundation basement that they've never been in.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. I was thinking it. it it's not like a, a finished basement where you're you're downstairs in the toy room or something. You're, um, uh, yeah,
0: you're really in yeah, a. It made me realize that we really need to look at our emergency preparedness situation. Just for things like not having to look for flashlights when you need them, or so. How have things been at your house, Arlene? I know it was a dramatic and busy week.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, it was. It's a, the kids' last day or last week, sorry, in school before Christmas break. We get a whole week off before Christmas, which is not my ideal scenario, <laughs> but you know, it's the way it is. Yep. At least they're not as little this year. We're actually trying something new until this year. We've never put any gifts under the tree until they went to bed on Christmas Eve. I was always worried that someone was going to start opening stuff early, but we're trying it out. Our youngest is just turned seven and I think we can manage it. Uh, Now I'm, Putting only the the wrapped gifts and not anything in bags, more so for the the cats, because I think that they will try to get into the bag. Maybe the kids would want to peek too, but yeah, so wrapped stuff. There's a few things under the tree. Yeah, so my daughter was supposed to be able to go back to co-op this week and get some of her hours in, and then she ended up in the hospital instead just just for the day on Wednesday. So that day wasn't very productive. And she's having a few health issues, and she gets to go on a no-fat or low-fat diet, for the next few weeks so that's just what everybody wants leading up to christmas so no baking or chocolate or red meat or anything like that no processed foods so we're having to rethink some of our christmas traditions and uh make things work with with her new diet so we'll uh make that make that happen and yeah so we're doing some uh creative workarounds to some of our traditions. The one that I'm not sure I can figure out is usually on Christmas Eve, we do like a full appetizer supper. So, you know, basically everything is brown and comes out of a box and you cook it at 400 degrees and it's melty and cheesy and delicious. So yeah, that stuff is definitely not bad for you. So we'll have to do something. I actually just
0: got a cookbook that has a lot of healthier recipes for things like that. So I can send you some recipes. I'm sure they're not as delicious, probably. But better than just eating celery for Christmas Eve, right? <laughs> like,
1: yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. For the first couple of days, she's had to be on a liquid diet. So I mean, even even last last night's supper of um, soup, and I made some homemade rolls that I had adapted the recipe to be to be low fat, and that was that was pretty delicious, even though they didn't quite taste the same yeah. as they normally do. So I got a phone call this morning. I was up in the house trying to wrap some presents and. Um, my husband i got into the barn we had a cow that needed to be checked and so i get this call from my husband and he's he could barely talk he's laughing so hard and he says i have a strange favor to ask you could you come down to the barn and i'm like yes like thinking you know do i have to hold something or like move some gates or like do they need help with this animal but then i couldn't figure out why he was laughing and he says the vet needs to to read the night before christmas to a calf and i'm laughing too hard and i can't hold the phone steady so i don't the vet was recording a few pages of a christmas book they're making a video for the vet clinic um with different animals, <laughs> and so his job was to read part of the book with a calf, and my husband couldn't handle it, so so I had to go in and uh, hold the camera steady, and we, we banished my husband from the calf barn because he couldn't stop giggling. So we we got the pages read, the calf did not chew on the book, and uh, yeah, we got the got the video content. I like needed, that. So we'll be we'll be sure to to, to share that with yeah, to you. Today on the podcast, we're welcoming fellow podcaster Sarah Zastro. Sarah reached out to us to be interviewed on in her podcast called Throwing Wrenches, Mending Fences. We wholeheartedly agreed, but on the condition that she allow us to have her on Barnyard Language. We really enjoyed our interview with her, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun today now that she's the one here in the hot seat. So, Sarah, we start out with the quest- same question to all of our guests. So, we'll ask you, what are you growing? Uh, primarily, we grow corn and soybeans, and um, I'm also 19 weeks pregnant, so growing a little. Little peanut, we'll find out the gender next week. So that's really exciting. That'll be a fun little Christmas surprise. I think my husband and I are going to find out and then we'll wrap a present under the tree for family and whoever opens it will, uh, get the surprise. So we'll see how that goes. I'm excited to watch it all unfold with all the family. Um, And then we grow, uh, we did some Thanksgiving turkeys this year, which was kind of interesting. And I think we'll continue to do that. The turkeys were delicious. So I think we'll carry on with that uh, tradition. Then we've got chickens and garden vegetables and sweet corn and a few different more hobby farm type things, but primarily corn and soybeans. And, Sarah, did you grow up on a farm, and did you think that ag was going to be part of your life and career, or has this been a surprise? I grew up on a farm. My dad farmed. Um, corn, soybeans, wheat, and sugar beets, which is a really labor intensive crop. And, uh, so anyway, I, and then we had some forage hogs and I hated shoveling manure. And I was like, I am going to get the heck out of this small town, move to a big city. I'm never going to shovel manure again. Life is going to be amazing. And I'm going to be rich, right? Like we all think that when we're 17 and then, uh, my husband came along and I was like, well, I'll move to an even smaller town. Uh, really, really (laughs) close to where my parents live, (laughs) I guess, shoveling manures. (laughs) So anyway, I was pretty determined to not, um, not live on a farm. And then what do you know? Lo and behold, I find myself back, back. So anyway, but it's been good. It's been really fun. We've been married for, oh, going on five years now. Um, and so it's been a, a fun adventure. That's for sure.
0: So Sarah, what breed of turkeys did you guys do this year?
1: Oh gosh. I don't know. The white ones. (laughs) We just bought them a tractor supply in our area had a, had a sale, you know, they get too big and then they're not cute anymore. When their real feathers start to come in and they're, they go from real cute to real ugly. And so they were kind of in that molting stage where they're, you know, just a few weeks old and they were like 25 cents a bird. And so we're like, "Eh, we'll try it. Um, so anyway, the white ones. I'm not really sure. I should maybe maybe know that information, huh? <laughs> How many did
0: you I raise? think they're just called like commercial white turkeys or something.
1: Okay, perfect. Um, Katie, I raised commercial white turkeys.
0: <laughs> okay. We'll see if I'm if I'm wrong, I apologize to the turkey farmers. Oh how many of them did you
1: have? We just we just did 8 and that was a good number. It wasn't too crazy. We put a we have a chicken coop um and then we've got peacocks so we had a peacock run two of them I guess. And so we just kind of expanded put a little uh a little turkey coop up and just raise eight of them in there. So I think this year we'll do a little bit more kind of ask family and friends, Hey, do you want a turkey? Here's what you, here's what you pay up front. Here's what you'll get and kind of go from there. And it's funny. We had planned to get them butchered ourselves. We get chickens butchered every year um, and it's three bucks a bird. It's super cheap. It's way worth the trip to catch them and take them to the butcher shop for them to do all the work. Well, COVID, of course, nobody, nobody's butchering. I mean, everything was shut down and, and the um, butcher shops that were open, I mean, they're not, they're still 12, 14 months behind. And so my husband has done a lot of like hunting and things like that. And so he knew how to butcher birds that and Growing up on a farm, they always butchered their own chickens and ducks and stuff. And so he he was like, nope, we're going to do this ourselves and we'll figure it out. And so I was like, okay, this was other than like deer and stuff. This was the first time I'd ever like butchered our own animals before. But it went a lot better than I was fearing. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we did like kind of two a night and, and that was perfect. Kind of took like an hour to do two of them. Not bad and plucked them and all that stuff. We didn't have any fancy equipment. Um, although if we continue on, we might invest in some higher tech (laughs) equipment, but anyway, and then we just kind of gave them to, um, family for Thanksgiving. So that's their Christmas present, even though it was a Thanksgiving turkey. Um, so anyway, it worked out really well and the turkeys were delicious. So kind of fun. It
0: was a good experience overall. Do you find that white turkeys are actually the stupidest creatures on God's green earth? Or you know, have you the, encountered anything stupider? Yeah, ducks are stupider. They they oh, really that's harsh. This my <laughs> ducks are totally not stupider than the turkeys I have. It
1: it's possible that our ducks are not they're not the brightest bulbs in the in the shed. We got him from a guy, and it's possible that there's some inbreeding involved. Um, uh, I don't think that all ducks are stupider, to be fair. Our ducks,
0: a lot stupider. Yeah, it seems to really depend on uh, by breed as to how stupid so. they are.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's a huge factor. Turkeys, they weren't too bad. You know, they're not intelligent animals, but but they weren't too bad. So, it was good. A lot of learning things. Turkeys need a lot of vitamins and minerals that we had chickens for like chickens and ducks and peacocks. And they're pretty easy, I would say. Um, but turkeys need a lot of vitamins and things like that, that we weren't really aware of. And so we had one that the knee kind of turned outward. And so we're like, Oh, shoot, what do we do? And then we realized, well, you got to feed them all these different supplements and different things like that and make sure you're getting them the right feed and so there were a few things that we learned uh along the way but overall it
0: was it was good and they were delicious (laughs) green work experience in exercise physiology can you tell us a little more about that field of work and how that ties into your work now yeah so i like i said went to school and was not
1: planning on moving back to a farm so after college, I started working at a hospital doing exercise, a little hint of nutrition and some other um, kind of treatment management techniques for cancer patients. And so both people who are actively going through chemotherapy and radiation and people who um, were were done, finished up and kind of just still dealing with the side effects of, of chemotherapy, especially. And so um, I started off working in that. Exercise physiology is sort of the, it's exercise, nutrition, wellness, overall health, Uh, and then I like to tie that to a specific group of people. So, at first, I tied it to cancer patients and just really dove deep into the specifics of that. And then, from there, I decided that that program was grant-funded. And so I decided that I could do a lot more with that if I kind of struck out on my own and wasn't tied to a hospital and a grant and this really specific funding. So I started my own business. And started working a lot with people with chronic pain, um, older people, people with balance issues, and people with chronic disease. And so teaching again, exercise, nutrition, some wellness things, a lot of stress management. And I was finding that stress is the common, um, the common thread between a lot of these things. And stress will determine if you heal or not. Stress will determine if you have pain or not. It will determine how quickly you recover from an injury. Um, And so then I just really started getting obsessed with the stress cycle itself and, um, and how that affects our body, mentally and physically. So I did that for um, let's see, until 2020, until COVID hit. And, and I started doing some farm stuff as well, because I realized, you know, farmers deal with this too. And I know my biggest source of stress is the stuff that goes along with the farm. And so I started working a little bit with farmers, doing some speaking events at seed meetings and different, um, uh, uh like, um, conferences in the wintertime and stuff like that. And so, started kind of doing farm stuff in 2018. And then with COVID everything shut down and I couldn't meet with clients anymore. Most of my clients were like in their seventies and eighties. And so they're not zooming, you know, they're not really doing that. They had no interest in doing that. And so I sort of let that part of the business kind of just go with COVID and, um, started just primarily focusing on the farm stress. And so anyway, that has been really, really good. It's been an interesting change of pace for me, for sure. But I really have enjoyed it. And um, so I started my podcast in June of 2021. So I'm going on, you know, six months or whatever. And that has been awesome to see the um, how stress applies to farms. And then in turn, how reducing your stress also applies to your farm. So that's been really cool uh, to see that transition and to get feedback on that. So the change in your business and starting your podcast kind of led, you know, from COVID and the changes to your business, what other resources do you have out there for people who are looking to to figure out how to deal with their stress? And, you know, I mean, obviously your podcast is is a good start, but what other resources do you have out there for people and what can you offer? Yeah, so I have over 100 videos on YouTube that really address a ton of different aspects of stress from lots of different angles based on different seasons, both seasons of life and times of the year, right? Like um, right now I'm doing a big thing on 11 ways to de-stress this December and talking about how specifically transitioning off of harvest and into the holidays can be really hard. It's really hard if you're still in the field and you're still – you know, trying to get crops off and fighting the snow and the mud and everything like that, and trying to Christmas shop and get all of that stuff in order, you know. Um, and so there's a ton of videos on YouTube. I also, my business itself is called Cultivate Balance. So on on uh, my website, which is micultivatebalance.com, I've got several blogs up as well that kind of, go along with the YouTube videos, some of them go along with podcast episodes, and really dive deep into, like, step-by-step, step, really a boots-on-the-ground view of what you can do to change the way that you think about stress and change the way that stress affects you, um, and so I, I dive deep into the practical things that we can do. I'm, I'm sort of obsessed with, uh, specifically mentally and physiologically, how does stress affect how we think, how we behave, how we yell at our children, how we react to others, how we problem solve, things like that, which all affects how we farm. It affects how we, you know, get solve problems and, uh, you know, run for parts and look at different things that need to be done. And so um, I take a real hands on um, boots on the ground strategy type approach so anyway you can look on um i look on my website youtube channel and those are all some good ones i tend to get a little bit um less serious like on social media and things like that but um uh, social media is always good too i post stuff all the time on tiktok and facebook and all that good stuff and i'll send you all those links that way
0: you have them i think we probably both need them so <laughs> i mean charlene yeah. sure is never stressed by no. any. <laughs> No, no Being whatever. a dairy farmer for kids, I don't know what you'd be, you
1: know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, with all yeah. that time oh. off, Arlene, you should really be able to, uh, <laughs> to really do some self-care, you know, some
0: pampering, you know. <laughs> yeah. I do like, Sarah, the shift I'm hearing towards referring to it as self-care sounds so extra and, you know, it's nice if you can do this, but it's not necessary. And I'm like, when we're talking about sleeping and drinking water, that's not a bonus thing. Yeah. You know, that's not a, that's not an extra sort of a. Um, yeah. I feel like self-care was. is a lot of times used
1: to sell a product. It's like, oh, buy this, whatever, chain roller or this hair wrap or this whatever, you know, foot massaging thing, you know, that's that's how we're sold self-care. But does that really solve your stress if you're just sitting there with your, with your feet in the massage thing and just pondering all the crap you have to do tomorrow, you know? Um, and so I think that there's really, there's a deeper level that we have to get to. And some of that's like, how do I organize my day? Do I get distracted and lose track and get nothing done? And part of that's like, what do I tell myself about all the shit I have to do? What do I tell myself about how productive I am and things like that? So, um, yeah, I don't, uh, the, the sexy self-care that sells, I'm, I'm not so much into
0: that. I read a, a really interesting thing recently about how women, especially in the establishment, is not treated well. And so women have been drawn into the wellness circle because they've been treated better, but then they're just being sold things instead of ever actually receiving adequate medical purifying. and as someone who dealt with you know, postpartum and depression and anxiety, you know, we get so much, well this should be the happiest time of your life, you're so blessed, and like, well, cool, but you're also not sleeping and the chemical and hormonal explosion in your body is not something that you can be prepared for, I think, and for myself, learning how many women have anxiety that presents as anger rather than how we think of anxiety presenting. And anger is such a downplayed emotion in women. It's such a, an unaccepted emotion for women to have, I think. And that's really, it was a real learning experience. I'll tell you what. And I think really that way. when you look that's at that,
1: and look at how many women struggle with anger and not how many women we see struggle with anger, but how many women think, why am I so angry all the time? We look at that, look at how many women get tension headaches because they can't do anything with that anger or they don't have the tools or the the person to talk to about that. So we just bottle it up and we get this hunched over posture that we don't even realize. And then we're like, gosh, I've had a headache for two and a half weeks. And all of a sudden, then, then we're forced to take a look at that. And a lot of times stress and anxiety and the inability to do anything about it or with it. Um, and the, the lack of tools to move forward with that is really inhibiting how we function as a society. Um, and it certainly inhibits how we feel day to day, right? How we feel. Am I a good mother? Am I a good spouse? Am I what a farmer am i good at my day job right do i feel content and joyful overall no no i don't you know and and why is that and part of that is those hormones and emotions part of it um you know your cycle where you are you know with all that if if menopause is close if it's nowhere near if you're having babies or if you're 70 and you're past all that Right. And and a lot of it is the chemicals that have to do with stress and how we deal with that. And the majority of the time with the majority of people, we don't even make that connection. And so you can't do anything with it or about it because
0: you might barely even recognize that it's there if you're lucky. I didn't even realize that the anger was part of the anxiety until I started medication for what I recognized as anxiety. And then all of a sudden I wasn't quite so angry and i think there's so much shame especially for women about being angry and especially being angry at your family my kids are the biggest thing in my life and i would literally do anything for them but we would never expect people to be as calm about any other human who pulled the kind of shit that little kids do i mean if you had to live with someone else in your house who never slept put marker on everything pooped in random places like we would never expect you to just be totally zen and like instagram ready about that like why do you expect parents and mothers especially to just be so like oh it's so okay. it's everything is fine we I mean, know it's not just just admit that it's not and then we can support each other and move on put this on each other that like well, none of us are struggling. I don't know why you have a problem. Oh, you
1: before. should just try just gentle it. parenting. That will solve all of your problems. Bullshit. No, it won't. <laughs> They're still going to put on being stuff. I am as gentle as I possibly can. <laughs> well, and there's gentle so- parenting doesn't mean that there won't be problems either, right? Right. You know, even if you take a gentle parenting approach, and there's a lot about that philosophy that makes sense and, you know, is great idea like your kids if you can still be gentle while your kid is screaming their head off (laughs) so i mean there comes a point where you know you might you might be being very gentle but you're not getting a gentle response so then your stress level goes up too right where even if on the outside you're trying to project calm you know they can pick up on the fact that you're not yeah yeah you're gentle outwardly you know like it's amazing the number of times where i'll say something where i think i'm be i'm you know keeping pretty even field and one of my kids will be like you know get defensive you sound angry it's like I was trying really hard to not you know through clenched teeth to not be angry but clearly yeah I guess I am yeah yeah and when we when we try to portray that like oh I'm I'm gonna be a gentle parent outwardly right and then we beat ourselves up because inwardly we feel like a disaster, like a volcano just erupted. just erupted, you know, and so gentle parenting is great. I, I think that we should all move toward that style of parenting. There's definitely a lot of research that says, um, you know, that that's best for kids development. But also, if we don't acknowledge that inside we're not being gentle with ourselves, then it's not really effective. Just like you said, your kids can pick up on that. And you don't really do that great job, that great of a job at hiding it for the people who know us really
0: well. One, I think, too, it, it shortchanges our children so much if we don't demonstrate how to be angry and how to use that and portray that in a appropriate manner, that you can be angry without being abusive or being self-destructive or being totally out of control that you can how to effectively manage stress because kids don't learn this magically. yeah it, there's a lot of shit that you seem to learn magically but acting like humans does not seem to be part of it so far <laughs> so not maybe i'm just doing it all a priority I don't for us Sarah,
1: you, know. you said you have a ton of resources on YouTube, but can you share with us a few of your top tips for people who are feeling stressed out? You know, farming, working, parenting, all that stuff. What are kind of your your go-to or some of the your first level, you know, dealing with stress? Yeah, so... Um, that's a great question, Arlene. I'm so glad you you brought it up. First off, let's define stress because we all know what stress feels like, but very few people know what stress is. And so stress is a chemical response in our body when we think that we cannot meet the demands based on our resources. So for example, those resources might be time, they might be energy. When you're talking about farming, it might be manpower um, or things like that. So we feel stressed when we have to pay bills and there's not enough money in the bank. We feel stressed when we have to get this thing fixed, but there's not enough hands or muscle or tools or know-how to fix that part or equipment, piece of equipment or machinery. We feel stressed when our patients are running thin and we know that we have 800 more things to do that day. So so when we can take a look at what is causing that, and typically it's not one or two or three things. Typically it's the straw that breaks the camel's back, about four or five hundred different things that are adding up. If we can take a look at Okay, what is actually causing me stress today? Because a lot of times we feel stressed out about things far down the road and we don't even realize it. So, for instance, I, um, my husband was—he's—he's he's got to plow this field. Um, and we don't plow anything; we do a lot of light tillage and a lot of a lot of no-till things like that. But he ha- for this particular field, he's got to plow it. There's—we've talked to a lot of people, and everyone's like, "Like, you got to plow it." So anyway, of course, we don't have a plow, and so he's borrowing one from his grandpa. It hasn't been used in 30 years. There's he's gotta get new bearings and new spindles and new whatever, a ton of different parts, and then grind off all the rust on this plow. So that combined with all the other crap he has to do today, combined with everybody and their brother asking, Did you get that field plowed yet? Combined with we woke up to four inches of snow this morning. Those are the types of things that stress us out, right? It's the situation compounded with what are people saying, what else do you have on your plate, what's the weather looking like. Those are the things that stress us out. So if we can start to pick that apart and say, wait, okay, the majority of these things I have no control over, no control over the weather, no control over how many phone calls I'm going to get today from, uh, you know, everybody and their brother, and no control over. What, how this is all going to play out, then the, really the only thing I have control over is ordering the right parts, fixing the plow, and getting the plowing done. So when we take a look at that, we can say, okay, this is what I have control over, this is what I don't have control over, and this is what I actually can do about it, all of a sudden, that creates a to-do list that is much more manageable. And the rest of those things we can kind of cross off or, or put out of our mind. I don't have control over this. I'm I'm going to stop worrying about it. So take a look at what are the thing or things that are stressing you out, break that list. And it helps to journal these things. And if you guys want, I can put together some journal prompts for you um, and for your listeners. So that way, this is more of a flow chart because it really helps to see it out on paper. So take a look at what thing or things are stressing you out, what of those do you have control over, and that of that, what can you do to make a step-by-step list to get those things done, right? And it's okay if there's 19 or 20 things on that list. We all have lots to do. But when you take a look at the, the things that are stressing you out and you put a timeline and a plan to it, whether that goes as planned or not, it helps us to break down and just see... This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. So there's no use, uh, you know, worrying about all the other stuff. A lot of times it's the other stuff that's louder, right? It's the other things. It's the people calling and your cell phone ringing every five minutes. It's the snow that you see every time you look out the window. It's the... Um, those things that we don't have control over that speak louder, because the things that we do have control over, we think I got this, I can just shove that down. And it's everything else that compiles to, to cause us this, this, these external feelings of stress, or these external um uh, like the implications of that. And so by breaking it apart like that, it really helps to see. And the other thing is some of these things, it's a long-term game, right? Like I'm not plowing this field. I may be plowing this field today, but I'm also really stressed out because whatever, my kids have been sick because Um, It's exam week for my kids or, um, you know, I've got 13 holiday parties over the course of six days and I don't haven't started my Christmas shopping yet. Like things like that. Some of those things are immediate and some of them we can take um, and break apart and do over the course of several weeks or months. And so just having those things in your head this is what I can do today, this is what's important, this is what's urgent, and this is what I can do to plan for the future, helps us to break, to to stop that stress cycle. So the stress cycle, we get this cascade or this volcano, and it sort of bubbles and bubbles inside of us until we explode, right? And that explosion looks like you yelling at your kids, it looks like anger, it looks like crying, it looks like Um, You know, you withdrawing or just shaking people who really struggle um, with a lot of depression will be tend to be withdrawers. People who really struggle with a lot of anxiety tend to shake or yell or have a panic attack. Um, And a lot of times that's a combination of all of them. Right. Sometimes we want to yell, but instead we withdraw excuse me. And so, so then all of a sudden we're like, why am I doing this? I don't understand. And that's part of that stress cycle. So to break that cycle, what we have to do is do something with that energy. When we feel stressed out, our body gives us the energy to tackle everything we've been thinking about. Okay. But the problem is we don't, have that many physical demands that use up that energy. So we feel this rush of adrenaline. But in reality, all I have to do is make a few phone calls, go go on Amazon, order my Christmas presents, you know, do this, that and the other thing. And that doesn't actually take up that much energy. So we can break the stress cycle by doing something with that. So make a list, make a plan. Um, you can always like take a walk, take a lap around the yard, lap around the house, do something physical to get that out. Having a dance party, playing your favorite song, um, getting involved in, in your, your senses some way, doing like a take five exercise where you say, um, you know, what are five things I see? What are four things are here? What are three things I smell? Two things I taste. And one thing I touch is a really beneficial way too to just burn up that extra chemical in our body so i know that was a super long
0: answer but Sarah, i think one of the benefits too of having an outside resource like that is you know in almost um 10 years together now my husband and i i found it is generally not terribly effective if i just yell at him to chill the fuck out i've not had great success with that but when i can bring a resource and say sarah says you have to chill the fuck out that generally goes a little better. And I find for us so much of it is communicating about what we're stressed about because <laughs> also he does not psychically know what I am worried about. Because, you know, I thought by now we'd have enough of a psychic connection that he'd just know. But, you know, he doesn't know that I need to pay for daycare and the kids need new shoes and and I don't know that he's got a plow that he borrowed from his grandpa that's covered in rust and, you know, I we were both nodding knowingly when you were describing that if it was as simple as just hooking up the plow and plowing the field it wouldn't be a problem but it's the 58 steps and all everybody you know asking it to one of my big things is that even good stress is still stressful and so i think people say well you know but your kids they're so great and your job you got a raise and a promotion and you moved into a new house and it's christmas and i think that adds so much pressure because every you're supposed to feel grateful for all these things. And you do, but still all I of think this that to deal with. We have labeled
1: good stress as stress that means something or stress that somehow is significant in another way. And from my perspective, physiologically good stress is the stress that gives you the energy to chase the cows that just got out. Right. Good stress is extremely short term. It will not last for more than a day. Right. Maybe a couple of days if you're like, Oh, this good stress is going to help me finish this report. Right. It's that feeling of I can do this if I just have a little bit of pressure. Right. Mm -hmm. I will not run through a a worked field just for the hell of it. I will to (laughs) chase cows and the energy to do that is good stress. Right. We have labeled, though, good stress, anything that has to do with meaning in our life. And that's not really accurate. Um, and so, so yeah, that good stress is, is meaningful, but is it good? No. Is it helpful? No. Is it productive? Also, no. You know, and so we have to take a look at, okay, what is actually helping me get things done? Right. Maybe the good stress when it comes to Christmas presents is you being able to go to 15 stores on Christmas Eve and get all your shopping done. That's good stress. But stressing up, stressing out for the whole month of December up until that point is not good stress. Right. So so we tend to replace good stress and meaningful stress. And those two things are not interchangeable. Um and so, yeah, that meaningful stress is still stress and it's not good for us. You know, any, any chronic long-term stress is not helpful or productive. And so if we can do something with that, say, okay, this is why I'm stressed out because it's Christmas time and we still have crops in the field and I don't have anything done and, you know, bills are due and the taxes are coming, winter taxes are coming in and, you know, all these different things. That's not good stress, even though it means that we will have a good Christmas and we're getting the crops off and we're paying our bills and we have farms that we have to pay taxes on. That's not good stress, you know? And so I think it's time to look at what, what are those things or what of those things do people just not know what to say? And they're like, oh, it's good. Like bullshit. It's not good.
0: You know, Yeah, it ties into that toxic positivity so much, too, that if I mention, I'm stressed because my kids outgrew all their clothes, and somebody goes, oh, but it's so great that they're growing. Well, of course it's great that they're growing. Of course it's great that they're healthy. But I just bought new clothes. Like, two months ago, both of my children have grown two inches since April. Nothing (laughs) fits. I don't know what size they wear now. You know, they wear one size on the top, one size on the bottom. The baby's feet are bigger than the big kid's feet. And, like, yes, it is good, but I still have to do all this other shit. You yeah. know, there's still all these other things. And it's not like this is a one-time thing. You're going to grow again. Yeah. Like, with the way they're eating, they are probably going to grow faster. You know, and it's... There's such there's a lack of support for that.
1: There's a really interesting TED Talk that talks about, okay, one of the stress hormones is cortisol. Cortisol actually encourages us to be social. So it it encourages us to come together in times of stress. What happens though, is that, you know, your cheerful neighbor, Brenda, always is with the toxic positivity. And instead of you getting that release from sharing or venting or um, feeling like you're not the only one whose kids have grown, you're in community with this together. Let's go shopping together. We'll figure it out together you know, Brenda's like, Oh, you should be so happy. And in like, that's not helpful from a stress perspective. It's also not helpful from a venting perspective. And then we just feel guilt because we're not happy that our kids grew. Of course, we're happy that our kids grew, but that venting is actually helpful until Brenda's like, Oh, you should be grateful, you know, And that, yeah, toxic positivity is nothing for actually managing our emotions.
0: For me, that was a lot of why I wanted to do this podcast, too, is that the more open I've been about things that I struggle with, the more open other people are able to be. And so this was just, like, going big with that. So I'm sure there are people who listen to this and are like, she is a horrible person and a terrible mother and her poor children and her poor husband. But I'm hoping that there are also people who listen and go, well, at least somebody's going to admit. What's actually going on? And I mean, I feel like if I vent to someone who understands that my kids have grown all their shit, it's assumed that I am happy that they are healthy and growing. I feel like we can assume that that is true. And you could even say it's great that they're healthy and growing, but now what the fuck are you going to do because they know their clothes fit, you know?
1: And going to and try it's and close with
0: young children is torture. <laughs> no there's, I to think do it's in that. the Geneva Convention that you don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Like one of the it, Best I, discoveries I found this year is that if you have uh, Amazon Prime, you can buy kids' shoes on Amazon Wardrobe and they give you seven days to try them on, and then you only pay for what you keep. So you're not like paying for six pairs and then returning them. You can just pay for the pair that fits. Yeah. Glorious. Especially when if you I, live where we do, where there's no shoe stores. Yeah, exactly.
1: When I do the clothing sort, I get boxes of hand me downs because I've got lots of boy cousins and friends and so i I get the the one pair of pants you know that i know fits and that's like the indicator pair and you compare everything (laughs) to that one so you just pull everything out and it's like oh too long too short just right And those ones go back in the drawer. sarah the one thing that came to mind when you were talking about kind of that level of stress all the time is kind of this pandemic living that we're you know still in right like where you've got that low well, or sometimes high, depending on how people are feeling or any on any given moment or day, where we've all been under this kind of looming stress all the time. Where it's like, am I making the right decisions? And is this safe? Is this not? Things that were normal before are not normal now. And having that in our heads all the time just means that then everything else is elevated, right? Because you've got that, that underlying baseline that's kind of bumped. Yeah, I think that that's a really great point in that we don't even realize that because we're almost two years into this now, but that still takes a toll on us. And every time we um, think about it and, and whether that's a, because we saw something or it's more of a subconscious, Hey, those people are wearing their masks. Should I be wearing my mask? I didn't notice the sign on the door, you know, or, or whether it's, whether it's like that or it's just more you scroll by something on Facebook, you overhear the news, whatever that is, those things still affect us because we're not sure what the what the outcome will be. And when our brain doesn't have the whole story, it fills in the gaps and it, it, and it, it doesn't like holes, right? It fills in those gaps for us, which is why we can see a picture from when we were two or three and swear we can remember that. And... and can we really, or is our brain just filling in the gaps, right? That's a subconscious thing that our brain does. And so, doing though with that, uh, with that in mind, your brain fills in the gaps when you hear a snippet of a news story, when you hear about this new variant, when you hear about mask mandates, when you hear about all these things. And so, those things are going to stress us out as well. And that may be subconscious because consciously you're thinking, "I'm so over this crap," and so your brain thinks oh she doesn't want to think about that I'm just going to think about it subconsciously but it's still adding to that stress and the pandemic doesn't allow us to go on date nights and have dinner with the girls and, uh, do fun things. It doesn't allow us to do some of those things that we previously used for stress relief or connecting with other people. And like we said, cortisol encourages us to be social. And so we have all this, this cortisol and it's doing nothing for us. And while social media is, is wonderful, it doesn't actually do anything for us. It just kind of makes us feel shittier about our messy house and our, Whatever, kids who, you know, have too short of pants and whatever else, you know. And so I think that in that way, it's really something that we need to take a look at um, in how it's affecting us.
0: I feel like, too, going back to, um, you know, making this and writing things down, I find for myself that especially when I get really stressed, everything takes the same priority level. So my kids' pants being on the verge of being too short is... Literally at the same level as a pressing medical appointment, you know, that everything is the same level of importance and it really makes a tremendous difference to start writing things down because it gets a lot faster to go, oh, this is, you know, important but not urgent or urgent but not important.
1: Absolutely, that Stephen Covey's four quadrants. I love that because it's so, um, it's such a good visual. Most people are visual learners and they process things visually, and so having that diagram, and I'll include that in in the worksheet that I'll um, send you guys. But it, it just, um, yeah, everything feels the same way. Everything feels the same level of importance and urgency, and in reality, probably only one or two things on your list is both important and urgent and needs to be done immediately you know where we feel like it's 25 things
0: well it's something i've been working on a lot too is really thinking about what my bigger priorities are i've been listening to a lot of while i work i listen to a lot of self-improvement books like right now i'm listening to essentialism which is all about you know, only doing things that are really important. And, you know, it's so easy to say, well, my job's really important, and this thing on the farm is really important, and this, this, and this are all really important. But if I take the time to step back and think about what is actually most important, it's my family. Using that to reframe my to-do list, too, of, you know, obviously things like paying the car insurance are important to the maintenance of my family. But if I can make five minutes to do that while the kids are at school so that I can spend that five minutes with my kids when they get home, then that's the better way to, to rearrange things. I think about
1: my to-do list in kind of three categories. So there's sort of the big needle movers. What are those big projects that you're moving toward? And those can be family or those can be farm or you can do it all together. Right. But like, what are those big projects? Some of those things, um, are, you know, spending time with family, or maybe you're going to build a new barn and you're looking at what to do and how to plan it and how to get financing for it. But what are those huge things that are really important that are those, those things that are going to move the needle closer to your ultimate goals in life? And then what are those kind of projects, right? So like Christmas shopping this year is not going to move me closer to my ultimate goal in life, but It is important and I need to get it done, but it's also not something I do every day. And then I think about maintenance items, which is the dishes and the laundry and grocery shopping and um, things like that, that need to be done every day or multiple times a week. And if we can think about our to-do list in those kind of three categories, it helps to set up our day because a lot of times we get lost in the maintenance items when in reality that doesn't help us feel um content or satisfied because what we're looking to do is spend our time on the needle movers and less time on the maintenance items. So then if you want if you're really into this and you want to take it a step further, take a look at those maintenance items and say, okay, what are things that are best if I do them every day and what are things that are best if I batch them? So for example, food um prep. If you're if you're a food prepper, if you plan, if you do those things, grocery shopping, those are best if you hammer it all out on whatever, a Sunday afternoon where laundry is best if you do one load a day, right? So then you can take a look at those maintenance items specifically and look at your schedule, look at your lifestyle, what works for you. If you don't work at home and you're gone five nights a week, maybe uh, doing laundry a little bit every day doesn't work for you, right? But for me, it works great, you know, and, Food prep doesn't work for me because my husband's is the, one, is the one that cooks. But for a lot of people, food prepping on Sundays is the best way to streamline their week. So if you want to look at how can I feel more productive during the day or, or after a long day, and still get the things done that need to be done, and we're not talking about a spotless house and a four course dinner every night, but like. You know, you have to have underwear to wear and, and that requires laundry, you know. So if we can take a look at those things in those different buckets and then prioritize our to-do list and our quote unquote free time from there, um, it really helps to, to, to change the way that we're feeling about getting our house clean and our laundry and dishes done and getting closer to those big ultimate goals.
0: I think I have one last, hopefully last thing to proselytize to is sleep. Because I know yes. myself, you know, listening to this book that's all about the importance of getting enough sleep and how Elon Musk apparently sleeps like 12 hours a night. Because he can afford to, but whatever. That I know, you know, now that I'm lucky enough that my kids are sleeping more than four hours a night, it's so easy to stay up that little bit later to do that one more thing. But it shortchanges tomorrow, Katie, by a lot. If I get, you know, five hours of sleep a night like I've gotten used to, it's it's bad news bears. And that, that, you know, really forcing myself to prioritize actually sleeping, drinking water, eating meals, these sort of boring, unfulfilling maintenance things really does make a huge difference in how the next day goes. Because it turns yeah. out that if you're exhausted and hungry when your kids get home from school, <laughs> it will not be... A welcoming homecoming for anyone involved. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's funny. Sleep is so there. So so, so I have have three thoughts on that. Number one, parents who have kids about your age, kind of that where they're starting to sleep more. You're catching up. You're feeling like, okay, my kids are sleeping, but then I have a lot of stuff to do, and I'm used to five hours a night, so I'm going to keep going. That's one problem. Another problem is having difficulty falling asleep. And another problem is having difficulty staying asleep. So all of those, and and there's, um, there's a, gosh, let me think of her name. I did a podcast with a, with a lady, um, and she's a, a cognitive behavioral therapy for insomniac practitioner. Okay. So we need to have her on Arlene. I will, I'll connect you with her. She's fascinating. She's um from Ontario also, so that'll be kind of good, Arlene. So um, anyway, fascinating. What she was telling me is that the way that we think about sleep really is the biggest indicator. We can turn off our cell phones an hour before bed and have our lavender oil and take a hot bath and feel a little calm and fuzzy inside, but if we're telling ourselves, I, I'm too good for this shit, or I'm too busy for this, or sleep is for chumps, or uh, it doesn't matter because I'm gonna wake up at 3 a.m tomorrow anyway then we can use all the lavender oil and the warm baths and the hot milk and whatever we want to if what we're telling ourselves about sleep is stopping us before it happens when it comes to the subconscious properties in our life and sleep is the the primary one what we the story that we tell ourselves about that will determine more than our thought than our behaviors and actions actually will. So if you can't, if you're telling yourself, I only need five hours of sleep, I really need this time to catch up on all these other things, then you're not gonna sleep. You're not, it's gonna be hard to fall asleep, it's gonna be hard to stay asleep because your brain thinks, well, she just said she doesn't need this time, so I'm gonna keep her awake that way she can get all this stuff done. Same thing with falling asleep. If we're always telling ourselves, like um my husband is uh he always tells himself at night for some reason, I can't figure out why. Um, I don't need to go to bed this early. I've had I've had plenty of sleep. I can stay up a little bit later and get more done. And so of course he can't fall asleep at night because he just told his brain he can stay up later and not get or and get more done. Uh, what we tell ourselves about our sleep is the most important thing. And so take a look at what is that internal dialogue? What are you telling yourself about sleep? People who are great sleepers constantly tell themselves, I'm a great sleeper. People who fall asleep when their head hits the pillow constantly tell themselves, I fall asleep when my head hits the pillow. When we reiterate those things subconsciously, it makes a huge difference in those, um, in sleep, especially now, sometimes there's some, some caveats here, right? If you have pain and you don't sleep well, because you can't stay in the same position for more than 20 minutes, that's going to affect it. If you are calving or lambing or kidding or whatever that season is, and you're not sleeping well because you think that you might constantly be needing to check on animals, whatever, pull, whatever you need to do, then that is different. But when it comes to all the time, every night, this has been happening for years um, and so on and so forth. That's usually more of a thoughts thing. And, if we can't sleep, if we're waking up in the middle of the night, or we are are not able to fall asleep, that is usually based on stress and what we're telling ourselves about sleep. In the vast majority of cases. So there's a, I have a lot of thoughts about sleep. Primarily, it has to do with what are we telling ourselves about it, and how is our stress level before bed, and and some of those things that you can do is lowering your stress level before bed, stretching before bed is a huge one. And that is good if you have pain or not. Um, and then also just making sure that you're prepared for the next day, If you know, tomorrow's going to be such a mess. I've got to get kids out the door. I've got a hundred things to do. I've got a meeting at 830. Um, and I have to make sure that I remember these 14 things to do on my lunch hour. Of course, you're not going to sleep well. But if you write that stuff down, you're ready to go for the morning, you've got backpacks and lunches packed and clothes laid out and you're ready to rock and roll, then you give yourself a chance at sleeping better. Um, But sleep is often connected to our stress level
0: and our thoughts about it. I find that so interesting what you said about, you know, well, I'm so used to only getting five hours of sleep because, you know, five hours has been pretty standard for the last uh, almost six years. But looking back, I remember saying I could get, you know, five hours, maybe two nights in a row. And after that, all hell used to break, you know, would break. And so that was kind of my rule. And now I'm like, well, of course I can just get five hours tonight. It's been six years of this. (laughs) I don't think my body magically got used to, you know, five hours of sleep instead of eight. Like, that seems unlikely. So other than the podcast, what else is keeping you busy these days?
1: Um, so I'm super in, uh, involved in Michigan Farm Bureau and I just wanted the discussion need for our state. So I'm going on to the national competition in Atlanta in January, which is super exciting. Uh, we were going to take a baby moon anyway. And so we're like, okay, baby moon in Atlanta. I mean, probably not the most, um, luxurious place we could have went, but we'll, we'll, it'll be good. It'll be really good. So, um, I've been studying and doing all kinds of prep. I went down to our Michigan Farm Bureau home office in Lansing yesterday and did a whole bunch of prep and studying and learning about different ag issues. And it's been fascinating to talk with different farmers who are outside of my realm of experience, right? None of the questions have to do with corn and soybeans. And so um, it's good to kind of get that experience, but also just connect with people who are processed chickens and, um, you know, people who work for the NRCS office and different things like that. And so, um, that's been keeping me pretty busy, um, that, and kind of just end of the year wrapping up, um, you know, all the, all the stuff that goes along with running two businesses, I think. So that and Christmas and, um, I've got about 48 house projects to do before the baby comes. So of course we live yep, in like a a big, a big list, yeah. And of course we live in like a mid 1800s farmhouse. So um, you know the floors are a little crooked and the ceilings a little droopy and the you know nothing straight or square or even. And so um, you know those pro- those home projects just really take a lot longer. <laughs> um, so anyway, I've got a lot of painting to do. And carpeting to rip up and all that stuff. Just thinking about, you know, pregnant women aren't supposed to do that or, you know, but also they say if you wear a respirator, it's fine. So I'll, I'll figure it out. So anyway, that's kind of
0: uh, what I've been up Well, congratulations on your win. And what is the discussion? Is it like competitive bullshitting? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. Is like- yeah.
1: Yeah so they say and the in the beginning this is not a debate it's a discussion but it's sort of you get a topic and then you have to basically spitball ideas for how um You as farmers, Farm Bureau as an organization and agriculture as a whole can improve this topic or find a solution to it. So like one of the questions is how the COVID meat process or during COVID, all the meat processors got shut down and how are we. Um, doing ourselves a disservice by having these main four meat packers. And while efficiency and productivity is great for them, it comes at the cost of diversity. And when, you know, JBS has to shut down, it really takes a huge toll on our meat packing industry and shelves on the grocery st- or shelves in the grocery store and things like that. So, um, talking about that and what can we do about that to get kind of small and mid-sized meat packers to be um, uh, competitive to get USDA inspectors to those small and mid-sized processors and um, so that we just have a more diverse meat packing industry as a whole in this country because another shutdown is inevitable you know and whether it's something like Swine flu, or COVID, or some sort of outbreak, or whether it's foodborne, or you know, like COVID, meat packers shutting down is not. Um, it this is not going to be the last time that happens. And so, from a diversification standpoint, what can we do to ensure that um, our food is secure and um, interruptions in our in our supply chain don't leave people hungry? So anyway, that's one of the questions. Another one's about. I don't know, green energy. One's about mental health, so I'm all about that one. And um, yeah, so it's pretty cool. It's kind of fun. It's not, um, you don't like argue or anything like that. It's more like you're spitballing ideas for different programs, different policies, how it affects you on the farm, agriculture as a whole, you know, so it's it's fun. I, I like the, the competition of it. Sarah, like you mentioned, you're currently growing your first child, so... This is going to be one of those cases where you can look back or maybe listen back to this episode later on and uh, hear yourself talking about parenthood before it actually happened. So we were wondering, what are some things that you're worried about with respect to becoming a parent and what things you're looking forward to and also any advice, But only if you ask? Hey, I, I appreciate that because, you know, you get a lot of unsolicited advice and you're like, is, is that really applicable or necessary you know I, I appreciate not, yeah. the comments but but yeah um so I think I've been worried about just like feeling like a failure which I feel like is such a parent thing I, every I'm sure everybody feels that way but also just like I think managing Having a new baby, our baby, we're due um, May 6th. And so we will be hot and heavy planting during that time. And so, um, you know, like my mom, we've got tons, dozens and dozens and dozens of family members within a 20 mile or five mile radius. So I'm not worried about help. I'm more worried about all those family members stopping over and me never sleeping or showering because we're visiting. And so anyway, that'll be really interesting to balance that, you know, boundaries on family farms is not a strong suit of anyone's. So anyway, that is, that is one of my fears. So that, and I think that, um, just like, I'm, I'm excited to just like have the baby. Like I be like, I'm just now starting to feel the baby kick. And that's like such a surreal feeling. And so yeah, I mean, I'm just excited for the baby to be here. I'm excited to find out if it's a boy or girl. So that'll be next week. And um so yeah, just excited to hold the baby, you know, I'm also freaking stoked to watch my husband become a dad. Like I, I feel like He's such a nurturer, like he already, he's like the caretaker, he's the problem solver, he's everything. But I feel like it's so different when it's a child of your own. And I cannot wait for to like see that, you know. And I'm sure there's going to be big tears
0: when that happens. I think for myself with the worry about being a failure, the thing that helped me the most is remembering that the baby has no expectations for what being a parent means that's all you so as long as the kid is fed and warm enough and clean they have no idea what you're supposed to be doing either so you know that's a really, good point as long as the kid's safe and fed they're not going to know if the nursery is fully decorated or their clothes match or your clothes match or you know whether you've brushed your hair or showered or they don't know or care
1: Yeah, it's good. I mean, the babies start off, you know, you've got that kind of gradual, not that it's easy at the beginning, but it's, it's your basic needs, right? Yeah, it's those very, like, simple elements of sleeping and eating and keeping them clean. (laughs) And things get more complicated. As they, they grow up, not easier, just different, right? So like, yeah, every stage, but you're, you're growing as a parent as, as they, as they grow too i feel like it'll be one of those things that zach has brothers who are quite a bit younger than him like 13 and um 10 years younger so he's like raised babies and got up in the middle of the night and changed lots of diapers and i've babysat a lot but it's different like through the night you know what i mean so i feel like he'll be a really good like when i'm you know crying and bleeding and sweating it'll be like i got this you know so i think that'll be that'll help big time too um so anyway yeah i think it'll be it'll be good but that's really good that the baby doesn't have expectations because we put so much pressure on ourselves and i know i do too and it's um good to remember that like that's all made up in your head you know
0: other thing was that costco was for us a huge money saver on diapers wipes formula all because the expense of diapers and wipes and formula if you end up going that route is bonkers insane oh okay insane. i've been
1: stocking up and somebody was like that's really stupid you never know if your baby's gonna have like an allergy or a sensitivity um i really sell
0: it on facebook i sold so many like half boxes of diapers there is always somebody that'll buy a half box of diapers
1: okay that's good to know too Okay, yeah. I feel like all these things, like, I'm just, like, taking notes and writing them down. That way I can, I don't know, compile the list, and when I'm tired, don't have to think about it. But, um, yeah, having a stockpile, I feel like, just gives me peace that I'm not gonna have to go buy diapers with a week-old baby, you know?
0: I think the other thing I was just talking to my doctor about, like, last week, was how common repetitive motion injuries are in new parents, um... Penis elbow, I got nursemaid's knee from sitting on the couch and then standing up, you know, with my body weight and the babies. Interesting. Carpal tunnel, all of those, because you're tending to be in very strange positions for a long amount of time, and the hormones relax all your ligaments and things, and so you tend to get a lot more of those. I found, too, I had
1: a lot of um, back and hip issues, and I think a lot of that was, I mean, you have such a, a rapid change in your physical stature even right like because the all of a sudden not all but some of the weight from the front is gone and then if you're nursing you know you end up you know you're yeah you're, you, whether you're nursing or bottle feeding you're sitting a lot I was hunched over more right trying to figure out like nursing position with a new baby all that kind of stuff and every time I ended up with with back issues but yeah your your, your body changes so rapidly in, in a short amount of time and then you're Doing yeah all new things carrying and that's crazy I feel like you don't nobody talks about that you know and that and um just like your organs settling back in somebody was telling me like that can be really painful and um like yeah there's a huge void in your belly and all of a sudden everything's kind of shifting back to whatever normal is or your new normal or you know and that yeah we don't think about that and they're like focus on the baby and you're like but I'm dying.
0: One that we spoke about, it was the episode with Meita, um, with Arlene's sister, about that nobody's going to give you a trophy for doing things the way you visualized it. Cloth diapering, or for having a natural birth, or for breastfeeding, or for being the mom who's always stoked to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, you're not going to get a prize. And ultimately, none of it really matters. So, you know, the less you can beat yourself up about it how you're failing at X, Y, and Z by not doing it the right way. If I was supposed to get a prize, I haven't yet, and it's been five years. So, I feel like it's probably not just lost in the mail. You know, it's I think we put so much pressure on doing it correct No, It's correct if the kid is in and then the kid comes out. Like, that's kind of the baseline. The baby should be fed. That is the goal. Yeah, I feel like
1: our... I'm so... uh I don't know what the right word is, but I'm so, like, no fluff on social media, it, it's interesting to me to hear people say, like, I did a Farm Wives press conference TikTok, and I just looked like absolute hell in it, and um, people were like, I cannot believe how real you are on social media, And and people say all the time that, like, having these perfect influencers and these mommy bloggers and all these you know, Instagram ready, Pinterest perfect is so damaging to what we think we're supposed to do. And especially for people who don't have friends who are mothers or I've got a lot of cousins who are really close, you know, things like that. But, um, it's so funny to me to hear people say that because I'm just naturally a tell it like it is kind of person. Um, and it's fascinating how refreshing people think that is. And I don't think it's refreshing because that's just the way I am. But I think that it gets way worse when you talk about kids and having babies and all that stuff. It's just so interesting to me. And how did we get to this place as a, I don't know, society, as a culture, that that is the standard? And that's so damaging and you talk about postpartum depression and anxiety and things like that and no wonder why so many people have have those things and struggle with those things it's you know and then you sit there and you scroll your phone because there's nothing else to do while you're whatever holding the baby or like me I have to like like my legs are starting to swell so I just like sit with my legs up on a pillow and like well I'm either watch tv or play on my phone and getting that little dopamine rush every time I scroll is more satisfying than watching tv so I guess I'll do that instead and then all of a sudden like oh my pregnant belly is not quite as cute because I've got love handles around it you know because I'm not 120 pounds and then all of a sudden I'm like you know comparing yourself and yeah that's not not good either so I I don't know the And I don't think there's an answer or a solution or a right or a wrong, but it's just interesting to pay attention to that. And I never paid attention to that until I got pregnant,
0: you know? feel bad for the folks that have that much pressure to be perfect through all of that, because I can't imagine trying to be well-dressed and put together and cute when your body is leaking things from every place it can leak things, and your feet are three times their normal size or, like, one foot. Is three times its normal size. That's <laughs> you know that's the one I got. I like, what what even is this? Like both of them swelling isn't bad enough. So just one of them will swell. That'll mess with you, you know. And just like at least nobody expects me to come on Instagram and be all cute. Cause yeah, it's, it's not. Confusing.
1: Yeah, they must have a lot
0: of prep time into. They must have a lot of prep time into
1: cleaning the house. This is all pretty right, well disgusting and disgusting.
0: We Arlene, we missed our favorite question.
1: Oh, I jumped right over it. Left you it out. Add... Oh, oh, Katie, go, no, go,
0: no, go. No. Well, now I can't type it fast enough. Uh, <laughs> All right, Sarah, what county fair contest could you dominate, real or imagined? Oh
1: man, um, I would. I would say like, the bullshit contest. Like day. if I, if I could, um, you know, if there were any any contest it, and you could just had to wing it, I think I would. I'd be pretty good at it. Maybe it's the podcaster in me okay. that I have a response to anything, but I don't I don't know. I feel like definitely bullshit. I'm I'm high on that list.
0: <laughs> I respect that. It'll help you so much with kids. I feel like <laughs> this is gonna sound really bad and know that I mean it in a good way. I lie to my kids so much <laughs> because they're like, Mommy, I think I saw Santa behind the barn this morning and I'm like, I bet you're right. I I think I saw him too. I thought I heard a sleigh say I lied to them. I bullshit my kids all the time.
1: I feel like you Saying have I lie to.
0: Alright, right, so now is it time for cussing and discussing? Alright,
1: now we'll go into cussing and disgusting. So as always, okay, if you want sorry. to submit some cussing or disgusting, you can send us an email at barnyardlanguagegmail.com and we've already been doing a bit of discussing and a little bit of uh, talk about
0: bullshit, but Katie, what are you going to cuss and discuss about today? So I'm on a board, you know, reading the news currently, and especially right now, you know, I'm on our on our preschool board, and there's been a lot of, well, we can't fix it, everything's terrible, and then I ran across an article from the New Yorker, the Atlantic, like somewhat well-respected magazine that said, child care is broken. Can we fix it? I'm like, what is our alternative? We just don't have children. We pull one member of every working family out of the workforce and just hope for the best, even though people can't afford to live on one income, and that's like half of our workforce. This attitude of well, there's not an easy answer, so we're just going to throw up our hands and be done with it. There are so many things where that is not an option. There is no option where we don't have childcare. There is no option where we don't come up with a way to supply food during a pandemic. There's we and I mean the U.S. and Canada, honestly, are some of the wealthiest, most privileged nations in the world. Even though we have a shitload of problems, and this attitude about well, we can't fix it. There's nothing to be done. Is just bullshit, and it makes me really, really angry. Because then people turn around and if you say well, we have to fix it, they say well, you're just not being cracked. You just don't understand. Like. Or I, I do understand, but there's no world in which we don't fix X, Y, and Z. That is not an option. So just take it off the table and figure some shit out. Yes, you'll just have to be more creative and work harder, but we don't have an option.
1: That and like people coming to the table with a problem. Like here you need to fix this. Like, well well what's the solution? Don't just come here to complain. If you see a problem let's brainstorm
0: some solutions. You know, I if you don't bring a solution or some potential ideas, don't be mad about the solutions I come up with. If you want a solution you like, you come up with it. And there would also be no more this is how we've always done it. <laughs> that is the phrase I would take right out of the world. No more. Okay, Sarah, what did you know have about? <laughs> Talking about oh. anger.
1: <laughs> um uh... I had something that I was going to bring, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, I know. Okay, so my ducks, this is the first winter we've had ducks. We only have three of them. They, I know that ducks waste water. I get that. But holy hell, like, I know I'm swearing a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, this is cussing
0: and disgusting. Ducks are so uh, full of fuckery. <laughs> ducks are just fuckery. That's it. Oh my
1: That's why they correct a the fuck all the time. <laughs> the other way around yeah, yeah exactly so i don't our water keeps freezing i've got a heat light we have like an indoor coop um that's big enough for all of our chickens and a heat light and all that stuff that they need Pl- plenty big the ducks just trash everything it's like wet in there it's it's not in theory it shouldn't freeze except yesterday it was like 15. So, okay. It's going to freeze when it's that cold. And I just need to find a better solution. And I told my husband, we are getting rid of these ducks before winter comes because I'm not cleaning, you know, like I'm not dealing with the water stuff. And like, they would go through five gallons of water in an hour and a half. And I, I'm like, I don't have time for this. And you don't do chores. So the ducks have to go. So I am, I am cussing our stupid stupid ducks and they just like peacocks are so easy and they eat hardly anything and they don't drink hardly anything and they're like oh it's negative 15 degrees outside i'm just gonna sit here and fan the neighbors so they can all stop and look at how pretty i am and the ducks are like let's destroy everything it just
0: drives me nuts the one solution i found since we have like Dirty ducks, and they're all mine, and it is... I think they're hilarious. I'm sorry. i They bring me a lot of joy.
1: I'm These glad days. for you
0: for that. Yeah, the, <laughs> totally, though. The rubber feed tubs can really help contain the water mess. And if you give them just a little tub with, like, an inch or two of water in it, uh-huh. what I learned was that they need to dabble and get their whole beak underwater because that's basically how they blow their noses. Is to, be able okay. to get their narrows underwater, and so when you give them just a normal water, they splash water out trying to get their faces in. Okay, but also that if you makes splash sense. too much water out. Your chickens will end up with frostbite. On I think a new home is the best solution. Would, well, what kind of ducks are they? Maybe we can just make I don't them know. Way and like <laughs> here, here we go. Going
1: to end up with more ducks too.
0: Put them in a box and mail them down here. They'll be fine.
1: <laughs> Perfect. I will. I'll put water in there, so that way
0: they're well prepared for their travel. All right, Arlene, what did you have today? So,
1: because we're talking to Sarah, it got me thinking about pregnancy and, you know, like the before times before I had kids, which is a long time ago now. But I was thinking about the phrase, are you sure it's not twins? And how offensive (laughs) and rude that comment is and that people should never ever say it because when you say to a pregnant woman are you sure it's not twins what you're telling her is she's fat and I don't like that that's not cool so no one should ever say that unless you know it's twins then i guess you can comment on the fact that it is twins but but i yeah. agree and people saying oh my gosh you're enormous like thanks <laughs> <laughs> especially when you're like 16 weeks like you have no idea you're due when? <laughs> Are you sure? My, uh, my <laughs> other. It's very up. over the not talking about people's bodies intimately, <laughs> other than you
0: look radiant and you. It should be limited to like, you're glowing, you look great, you look happy. That's it. Don't ever ask if she's pregnant, or when she's due, or how many it is, or anything else about it. Just don't. <laughs> I agree whole
1: wholeheartedly agree all right Thank so you. before we sign off sarah do you want to share with us again the name of your podcast your blog your youtube channel all that good stuff yes so my um podcast is called throwing wrenches mending fences you can find it at throwing wrenches mending fences dot com google spotify stitcher um i got in a little fight with apple uh, well i shouldn't say that apple apple booted me and i can't figure out why so um, I will be back up on Apple momentarily, but <laughs> right now I'm vanished from Apple. So anyway, um, and then also everything else you can find at micultivatebalance.com. You can find me on YouTube, TikTok, uh, so, uh, Instagram, all that good stuff at throwing wrenches, mending fences. And, um, so yeah, I will link, send you guys all those links that way. Um, they're easy to find too. Yeah. Thank you. This was great guys. I appreciate it.
0: So thank you everyone for joining us today on Barnyard Language. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language and on Twitter as Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farm families and Sarah, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. Please like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoyed listening to us, please be sure to leave us a five-star review.
1: We are always looking for future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. You can support the show by becoming a patron on the Barnyard Language Patreon. A small monthly donation will allow us to keep producing the show.